Hello and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast sponsored by MWW. My name is John Reynolds, host. Uh, later we're talking to Richard Gill, managing partner of Dentsu Aegis Network Edinburgh. Uh, we were up in Edinburgh early in the week. I must just say for transparency, uh, transparency sake, I have done some work for Dentsu in the past. Uh, before all that, sat opposite me is Jonathan Trimble, Chief Executive Creative Agency, 18 Feet and Rising. Uh, many thanks for joining me, Jonathan. Uh, for the listeners, can we just get a very brief overview of 18 Feet and Rising, please? No problem. We are a creative agency, uh, broke away eight years ago uh, from all the big shops um, to lead the creative revolution of the future. And who are your clients? Who are they? Uh, we work mostly with scale-up, so we've got ClearScore, Thriver, Seedlip, okay. um, List, yeah, all the cool new brands, basically. All the cool new brands. Okay, we'll, we'll get on to talk about 18th and Rising in more detail. First up, it'd be great to get your take on some of the um, advertising news stories of the week. Um, so we've obviously got the change to the John Lewis and Waitrose brand identity. Uh, so the department store is now to be called John Lewis and Partners and the supermarkets to be known as Waitrose and Partners. And for the first time, I think they've launched a joint uh, marketing activity. Obviously, they've got the same ownership. Uh, and it's kicked off with an ad created by uh, creative agency Adam and Eve DDB, which features uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so first of all, I presume you've had a look at the new identity, have you? I have, yeah. What's your take on it? Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay. Uh, they already, um, as far as I was concerned, they were already the partnership. Um, so perhaps this is talking to somebody that's not me um, yeah so from that point of view it feels like they're running a big ad about something we already know um, but there must be a reason why and, and so on and so forth that perhaps I'm not alive to yeah I, th- I think one of the things if you spoke to the marketing guy he said it was um, the, the old logo was a bit out of date in the digital age and as you say they've made reference to the uh, the partnership, which maybe a lot of people don't know, so effectively that means that it's owned by employees, doesn't it? And they yeah. get a share of the profits. And presumably they think that that's going to be a big sell with consumers. But I mean, I don't know. Do you think that will be the case? Or um, look, we're a big corporation ourselves, so we're run um, for the benefit of all stakeholders, not just shareholders. By and large, your customers don't care so much about that stuff. They, it's more of an internal thing. My guess is that this is an advert to stimulate internal culture and um, and that does work it will by extension help you know service and things that they do for their customers but it feels internally pointed um, than externally mostly customers just want great products and services done well and effectively they don't really mind how you're owned or who you run for or or the values by which you kind of run yourselves but those things are extremely important to uh, organizational culture so my guess is that's probably what this is about. Okay, oh, well I guess maybe one argument is there might be some pushback against, if you look at some of these retailers, some of those top top execs earning enormous uh, salaries maybe. Do you think there is any, any pushback? I mean there was an example of, of Mike Coop, wasn't it, the chief exec of Sainsbury's, who I think earned 3.4 million in the last financial year and was caught singing, wearing the money on camera after it's tired with with Asda. So maybe if people know that you know these the money's going between the staff and not the execs maybe, well it could be a consideration anyway. I think so. I mean, customers by and large, I don't think will mind, but I think that's right. I think for the industry to be very clear that they're a different kind of organisation is actually a really wonderful thing. And what about the, I had a quick look at the ad. What's your take on that, Bohemian Rhapsody? Is it a typical Adam and Eve DDB ad? Um, It's more than a typical Adam and Eve DDB ad. It is the typical Adam and Eve DDB ad, uh, including Dougal Wilson directing it. Um, yeah, it feels like a, it feels like a, a, I would say a swan song to the 
to that entire genre of advertising that they've been creating. It's the um, you know it's the familiar uh, warm uh, yeah. kids doing cool stuff, uh, and and I think it's it's starting to feel a little tired. Um, the it's the the end of love actually. Replay, yeah. replay back to us with Bohemian Rhapsody. You kind of, yeah, before you click on it, you kind of know what to expect. This sort of kind of smaltzy, touching, feeling, saccharine, yeah. which what you, you're saying it works to a certain extent, but they've overplayed it maybe? I, I mean, creatively speaking, it's been overplayed. It's difficult to argue with a great big ad by a great director, by a wonderful company that's got some really cool values. Um, but it's not, no, it's not a wild step forward from an innovation point of view. or uh, No, it's nothing we haven't already seen. But it's nice, it's lovely all the same. Okay, it's, it's a nice segue into, we can talk about another retailer, uh, House of Fraser, who you're obviously familiar with. Uh, you created ads for them for a number of years, but have now parted ways. Uh, I guess it would be a stretch to say a new logo for House of Fraser uh, would have saved it from uh, going into administration. But I mean, in, in all seriousness, um, I mean, it's been snapped up now by Mike Sports Direct in a, a £90 million rescue deal. Are you optimistic about the future of House of Fraser under its new ownership? Or? Um, no, uh, I, I don't think Mike Ashley's got a plan. Um, I think it's a cheap deal. Yeah. Uh, and he'll see what kind of happens. Um, it's, what I can tell you is it's a brand that the public would like to succeed. And so I think there's warmth there to want to make that work and I think at the in the way in which he's acquiring it you've got a chance to do something interesting but no I don't think there's a a specific strategy behind this acquisition I think it just it's a fire sale it came cheap there might be some value there let's see what happens okay so I mean does uh, 18 feet bear any um, you're probably not going to like this question bear any responsibility for the, the demise of House of Fraser ad, ad agencies are always quick to point out when they have a successful a hit campaign and how integral that's been to the success uh, but obviously less so when a business are in trouble um, uh, were the problems of House of Fraser beyond anything that uh, advertising could remedy at all? Uh, as it turned out yes so um, yeah I mean we kept House of Fraser alive probably about two years longer than it might have otherwise through a drug called Christmas advertising um, and if you do Christmas well you'll generate just enough sales to cover the books and so on and so forth so from that point of view it kept it yeah it was on it was on a, a life support system called Christmas advertising and our job was to win the Christmas game um, and to pull the rug out from some of the expected people just like the ad we just talked about uh, but no, in the end, we, we gave it two and a half years longer yeah. than that. And, okay. and after that, in the end, if you're, you know, if you're a retailer and you're physical and you don't have the right stuff, yeah, you're, you're under real pressure at the moment in a way that advertising can kind of never save great Christmas ad or not. Okay, I mean, I think there is talk, isn't there, from the, the Chancellor suggested that the government could impose like a, an, an Amazon tax, on, uh, uh, Amazon tax on, on online sales to make it more of a level, level playing field between uh, bricks and mortar retailers and online retailers. I, I guess you'll be watching with interest for the next House of Fraser ad by its new creative agency. I mean, we'll look, I don't know how it works, but once you've split with a, um, a client, do you see a big departure from the ads that you made in the, in the past with the new agency or not? Or? Uh, I don't think there's going to be a new agency. So we, okay. in January, when we, when we did the last Christmas ad, we knew uh, that it was very unlikely that another Christmas ad was going to give them any oh, more really? prolonged life. Okay. So we managed them out and said, okay, look, this thing's got six months. 
Um, they were confident about their future in getting their financing and they went searching for a new agency. Okay. Then in the, in the deal and the restructure, I think all, well, all contracts are severed, future plans are unknown. I'm not sure there's going to be a new agency. When people called me about it and they said, hey, look, you know, we're thinking about pitching for this. What should we do? How's, how is the business doing? I thought there would be a further Christmas ad in it, which, at which point we could have a debate about yeah, the sure. kind of work we did for them versus the kind of work they did for them. I'm not sure there's going to be a Christmas ad this year. Oh, well, that's interesting. Isn't it? Um, I think it's I, Sports Direct don't believe in advertising, and I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure the pitching agencies there's going to be a winner. Okay. Um, well, that is interesting. Okay, so I mean, House of Fraser was obviously a big client for you. How, how much of a dent on your revenues is that going to be then? I mean, is, is the priority for 18 feet to replace House of Fraser with a, with a similar sized client? Or no, the I mean, like I said, we. 18 feet and rising's traction increasingly is scale-up brands, and okay. to some extent, House of Fraser was a kind of an anomaly in in our mix. Sure. And we love playing the Christmas ad war. It's really, really, really good fun. But a lot of the brands we were winning were, oh, you work for House of Fraser, isn't that a decaying old world thing? Mm. Um, and so, from that point of view, no, we we don't want to replace them with another traditional brand. Our entire focus is new and better ideas that are coming through in this more of the scale-up community um, yeah so, so yeah, no, yeah okay. no, I mean for example Lidl's pitching at the moment that's one I would also steer really clear of oh, like really? keep away from traditional retail um, yes they need advertising because as I said before like it kind of it keeps them going a bit sure it, it keeps them going more than they probably should but they're they're ultimately very very margin stretch businesses um, having a difficult time so it sounds like it was quite a bruising experience then all in all with House of Fraser was it or? at the end yeah I mean it was well this is the thing they, they asked me what was the team like they were actually great fun we did loads of cool work with them sure and we uh, really really enjoyed that but yeah in the end that business is in it needs a plane to go into it and sort of crash it down and um, in order for it to invent any kind of future for itself and it's not something we can just continue to Christmas advertise our way out of okay. so from that point of view yeah it needs an entirely new thing that's unrelated probably to new logo new brand anything like that yet it needs a whole different business model in there that you know and I think there is one I think there's space in luxury I think there's space in um, in yeah. department store yeah uh, I think there's space in great experiences going in and retail, what have you. It's just the way that they're structured, the history of them, just means there's too much, okay. too much legacy in there in order to, uh, uh, in order to move it forward. So yeah, unfortunately, you'd have to break it before you can fix it again. Okay. Right. Okay. I mean, it sounds as though I'm interviewing at the moment, Jonathan. When it's times are, are changing at 18 feet, uh, you talked about um, working with more scale up, uh, move, moving away from perhaps bigger business. There's also some changes internally to the agency. Is there? I think you've you've got some uh, changes that you're going to tell us today. Yes. Um, so that's a nice. <laughs> I am, John. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So we are probably in the middle of a buyback from uh, Creston Unlimited, which is the group that acquired 27% of us. Sure. Three years ago, we thought integrated uh, group play at a slightly smaller scale was going to be the way forward for us. Right. Um, inevitably, the clients that need great creative agencies are not looking for group integration. They're just looking for great advertising, frankly. And um, that comes from younger indie uh, groups operating under their own steam. So um, we've agreed that's the best way forward for both of us. Uh, we are going to drop 18 feet from our name and just be Anne Rising right. as, a, as a kind of flag wave to scale-ups. 
uh, and also because... What's the significance then? Why and rising then? Just explain that to me. Well, 18 feet was the height of the original founders. That's yeah, one thing. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, so there's new management in now, so that's part of it. But it's also because the way these scale-ups like to work with you is very much uh, an extension of their team. Mm. So they don't really want to go and hire an ad agency as such. They just want a bunch of cool people around them. So it kind of it's a bit like client and rising. So you can just put... Okay. Uh, you know, clear score and rising, thriver and rising. So it's kind of just, it's a little bit lighter as far as it's not 18 feet and rising, this great ad agency you're hiring. It's actually much more like just the team we're putting around you. Okay, so this is obviously significant. It's a big decision you've made then to, to buy back. Yeah. I mean, was that, how, I mean, what was your thinking? Was, it, was that a difficult decision to come to or? It, no, it isn't because it, you just, as always, you're just responding to the market. Right. Uh, and when you see lots of new entrants coming in with advertising budgets looking to scale up, Right. Then it makes sense to follow, to follow that growth. Okay. Um, so it's it's not a it is partly a philosophical and spiritual, but not really. Really, we're just following where where advertising money's going, which is it's pouring in in huge troves into new and better ideas because they're using advertising to scale themselves, and the corporates meanwhile are either falling over like House of Fraser, sure. or they're consistently cutting year on year. So. And what's the danger, though? I mean, you won't have that investment anymore. I mean, that, that's like a security blanket, isn't it? Not really, no. We, I mean, 27% is still a minority investment. Sure. We run under our own steam. In fact, uh, we have never not been independent, if that makes sense. It's just I think people's expectation was that we would do a couple of years there and then uh, sell the rest of the company to them, and we just decided not to. Okay, so from what you're saying there, uh, uh, you're sounding as though you're, you're effectively saying that independents have a, are in rude health and you've got a strong future as an independent, so you wouldn't be looking for any significant or you wouldn't look to be, you know, to be bought down the road then at all. No, exactly. Scale-ups don't like uh, ad agencies, they don't like media companies, they would rather do it all in-house if they could. Um, a lot of them have some capability to get part of the way down there and that's why the independent sector... Um, has renewed rev- relevance. I mean, the, the large networks can't unhinge themselves from the traditional money, mm-hmm. uh, and we can. So that's, yeah, you, you have to be one or the other. You either have to be really wired to big corporate deals, yeah. or you have to be going after scale-ups. So this is your, your, your sale to the market now, is you're going after scale-ups then? Exactly. And yeah. how, how much a percentage of your revenues will this make up than scale-ups? Will that be like half of you, aim to be half of your business? Or? That's exactly right. So they're currently half. Um, and the interesting question whenever uh, I've talked to people about this is like, you know, what percentage between old and new uh, will it make? And I actually think for the foreseeable, it will probably be 50-50 in, re- in reality. Um, but the 50% dealing with scale-ups give you all the muscles and kind of creative energy to make sure that anyone slightly more traditional coming down the line is, is getting that kind of challenger energy into them. And which scale-ups, who are you working with now? Will people know, the listeners know them? Or? Yeah, we've got some new ones. I, uh, the, uh, so it's just amazing new, interesting ideas like Thriver, which is a blood test right. um, that tracks your well-being, so it looks after your vitamin D level, stuff like that. List, which is um, replacing House of Fraser in the fashion space. They're a luxury uh, price fashion aggregator. Um, Seedlip, which yeah. is uh, an incredible... Uh, distilled spirit that's okay. non-alcoholic. Yeah, it's a lot of just cool new things. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> I mean, so not, no other creative agency has got an emphasis on scale-up so this is your, you're hoping to make this your domain then, really? That's right, I mean, uh, independents fall into two camps. They're either, um, they're, they're still desperate, I think, to get a chunk of corporate business because mm. that's what 
they think gives them acknowledgement. And remember, we still report new bit new business in billings terms. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so yeah, okay. indie agencies are, are are still after that acknowledgement from I think some of the bigger shops mainly because they want to get reacquired by them. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a realistic acknowledgement that actually our role is probably to play a little bit in that space, but more importantly to help brand new brands who are advertising for the first time get heard and known and, okay. um, and, and what build have your, themselves. And what have your existing clients said about the? Uh, the change in your investment structure and the change, you know, the, the name change. Have they been? Well, perhaps you've not told them yet. Have you? Uh, we have <laughs> privately. Look, they're excited for us because they know the individuals involved, and it means the management, you know, management taking over their own company. They're excited for us. It was good, uh, really good. Okay, and, and you alluded to uh, before. You said, um, well, just talking about competition. There's, you know, yet companies like Unilever and RBS bringing production of ads in house and reducing the number of agencies they work with. I mean, in terms of, if you compare the competition for creative agencies to what it is today, five years ago, is the competition uh, more fierce? Is it, is it easier? How does it compare to what it was five years ago? Uh, it's a, I think it's a little easier. We had a, we had a flurry of new agencies kind of come out mm. and try to feel themselves out. At the moment, I think it's, you know, I think it's, uh, it's a little bit stuck. The... The, cor- the corporate agencies are are doing good work, but they're kind of um, yeah attached. Okay. I, I think it's less yeah. I think it's less com- competitive. Oddly, overall, I, I think we're due, and I think the John Lewis and Waitrose partnership ad tells you it. We're due some new creative thinking coming down the track, and we're all waiting to see where it comes from. Well, perhaps eighteen feet or, or and rising. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I noticed you, you've been quite vocal about the uh, gender pay gap. Uh, I think I, I read somewhere you said all businesses uh, should disclose. They should, yeah. So at the moment, the government rules say that if they are under two hundred and fifty staff, you don't have to do it. That's right. I, I don't actually know if you. I don't think uh, any businesses did disclose. Presumably, they could do it of their own volition, could they? Yeah, there were. There were a number uh, okay. under two hundred and fifty that did so. We were I one of them. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. I yeah, didn't realise that. Yeah. Um, and you've also got a policy of hiring um, one, uh, hiring one in every. Uh, staff member to be uh, non-white, is that right? Unskilled apprentice. Unskilled apprentice, that's right. There's there's an amazing thing uh, called White Hat, which is an initiative launched by Ewan Blair. Tony Blair's son. It it? is, yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, given the apprenticeship levy, his job is to plug in uh, fantastic new talent into more corporate situations who couldn't afford to go to university. And... There, there's an amazing talent pool there, sort of waiting, waiting to be reached. So yeah, we we made a commitment with White Hat to do that, and um, we're already seeing some cool new talent come through. Okay, so when did you make that commitment then? When was that? Uh, it was early last year. So it's all part of the B Corporation. So as a B Corp, we you know we uh, because we don't have a huge supply chain, we have yeah. to uh, certify mainly on the basis of how we employ and treat staff. Okay. Um, as a people business in a professional services firm so yeah that's um, yeah that's one of the commitments we've made same with the gender pay cap so we have 50-50 uh, in our credit department male, female mm. we have um, equal balance of pay amongst the leadership but interestingly the pay gap we reported showed that there's not enough senior management coming through so it's a very very interesting measure to mm. to look at what's the flow from junior to senior of both male and female and other. So all your senior 
They're all male, are they? All well, it's the thing with zero pay gap at the senior level, right. and then suddenly a pay gap at the more junior level, simply because there aren't enough senior females at the middle in the middle rankings. Okay. So yeah, it it, it, it it's a yeah, it's an acid test of how how the company's doing. From a are we does everybody have the same chance to rise up through the company? Sure. Okay. I mean, just going back to the the, the, um, the hiring of non-white unskilled apprentices is this kind of quota. You're not in danger of not hiring the, the best people for the job, then. I don't think so. The, the, I mean, in the end, the best people will come forward wherever they come from. I think that if you're in a creative business working with brand new ideas, it's it's not a given anymore that just because you went to ABC University, went on the graduate program at Wynard, sure. WPP, or Unilever means that you hold the answers. I mean, the, the the serious companies we've seen growing over the last year are completely unconventional backgrounds. Yeah. And um, okay. so no, I don't think, I think it's the opposite. We've got to get out there and, you know, you know, sort of break the process a little bit. And yeah, some of them are going to be sort of educated people, whatever, but actually it's just where is the talent? And I think having broader pipes in is is the way forward. Okay. And, and, and finally, when are we going to see some new work, new creative work from and rising again? What's the next? Who's the client we're going to see your uh, next work for? We have new ClearScore okay. list, um, Seedlip, it's all breaking Thriver, all happening before end of the year. So, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll send you some stuff okay. when we're there. Jonathan, that's fantastic. And do stay listening because next up we have got uh, Richard Gill. Hello and welcome to the next part of the podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Gill, who is Managing Partner at Densu Aegis Network's Edinburgh Division. Uh, thanks a million for joining me, Richard. You're very welcome. Obviously, we're recording this in uh, sunny Edinburgh today. Can you just give the listeners an overview of, of Densu Aegis operations in, in Scotland? Sure. Uh, hi, John. Um, the Densu Aegis... Uh network in Edinburgh. Well, we're a family of specialist uh, communication agencies. Okay. Um, in Edinburgh, that consists of CARA, uh, which is our strategic media planning agency. Uh, also, iProspect, which is a digital performance agency, um, the biggest, in fact, in the world. And I, I set that up in Edinburgh uh, about five years ago. Yeah. Um, also, Whitespace, which is a, a fantastic creative agency with a very strong focus on digital. And that's a, a very recent acquisition for the group. Uh, and also our trading arms, which are Amplify and Amnet, they are represented in Edinburgh. So uh, across the piece, we have uh, about 140 staff in Edinburgh. Okay, and how does that fit into, obviously, Dentsu, Aegis Network North, uh, we know it as, as having uh, offices in, in Scotland, uh, Newcastle, Leeds and Manchester. Is that, I mean, is, is, that, is, is there much interaction between the, the, the uh, relevant offices? Yeah, we, we're, I suppose we're slightly unusual um, in terms of the big group agencies and that we have a very big regional footprint. Uh, as you mentioned, we've got offices across uh, the north of England and uh, and in Edinburgh too. Um, we work very closely together. Uh, yeah. we, have a, we have a board that uh, sits across um, the, the, the north, uh, as we call it. Um, but we also uh, work very closely with our colleagues in London, uh, spend a lot of time down there, uh, and we, we are working much more collaboratively uh, than we ever have them. Okay, so I can't help noticing, looking at you here, you do seem unbelievably young for being a, you look unbelievably young for being a, a managing uh, partner. Can you just, how, how old are you? Uh, I'm 34. 34, and when were you, when did you take up the role of, of managing partner then? I moved into managing partner uh, two years ago when I was 32, uh, and as I mentioned, I, I set up iProspect originally five years ago when I was, uh, when I was 28. And you report into Rachel McDonald, who we've had on the podcast before too? That, that's right, yeah. 
Okay. So, and just in terms of, uh, can you give us listeners a brief overview of, of, of some of your clients and also, uh, I mean, what the, what the focus at the moment, you talked about some of the brands, uh, is more a focus on uh, media buying at the moment, digital or, or data management? Yeah, well, in terms of our client base, uh, we, we work with uh, the Scottish Government uh, and Visit Scotland. That's a big client for us. Yeah. Uh, we work with uh, Scottish Power as well, which was a, a, a win for our business um, earlier this year. We work with Baxters uh, and a number of other, um, I suppose, household uh, names. But we also work with um, uh, n- national Scottish clients um, as well as some international clients. So we work with uh, Amplifon, which is a, uh, is a, is a European uh, business um, headquarters. In Italy, we work with Diagostini, who also have um, their headquarters in Italy. So we work with uh, national business, we work with UK business, but we also work with uh, pan-European business. Um, I guess our uh, focus, uh, our core business, if you like, is uh, is media buying. Um, but we are moving into uh, lots of new uh, territories, um, and that's really where a lot of the growth uh, is coming from. Uh, so, for example, the, yeah. ac- the acquisition of Whitespace um, very recently, um, you know, takes us in a, a different direction from, from from the perspective of of, of the business out with London. Um, so, creative is probably the area that that has been the the, the only gap in our armory yeah. uh, in terms of dense just network out with of London, and that and that has closed that gap. Um, so, that's important to us, um, but. But we've also uh, launched a product um, called Presto um, this year, yeah. um, which is essentially a, a platform that allows us to deliver dynamic creative uh, solutions for our clients. And we are recognised as the centre of excellence uh, in the UK, uh, in Edinburgh. So we are servicing uh, not just our clients from Edinburgh, but also clients across the UK. So I, th- I think that our focus is um, is certainly still on our core business, which is uh, which is media. But um, increasingly, we're looking at new avenues and basically trying to figure out what our clients need from us and plug all of those gaps. Okay, Presto. So you mentioned Whitespace. So you made that acquisition earlier this year. This is a, a creative agency. Are they based in the this Edinburgh office then now? Or? Yeah, we, we can just about see them from our, our window. Um, so they're based just across the road. Um, they are uh, widely regarded as, uh, as one of the best uh, creative agencies in Scotland. Um, they've got a, a real kind of digital focus. Um, they, uh, they are pioneers in areas like augmented reality and virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a very exciting business. I think from our perspective, as I said, it, it plugs uh, probably the only gap that we had in our, our business out with London. But I think from their perspective, they have ambitions to grow across the UK. So uh, it made a lot of sense from our perspective and, and from their perspective too. Okay, so from what you said there, you said uh, it, it plugs a gap. So maybe you're not going to be that acquisitive and look for more acquisitions going forward. Or is that a bit premature? to say that? I, I think the Dentsuigis group um, is very acquisition focused uh, per se um, and uh, you know the, the the purpose of these acquisitions is to make sure that we have the, the breadth of specialisms that we think our clients need um, so we can develop solutions that help our clients win in, in, in the digital economy so I don't think uh, I don't think we're necessarily um, going to shut up shop when it comes to acquisitions mm. that will be an ongoing uh, ongoing process but certainly from a creative perspective um, it's a very significant and important acquisition for us. So if we were to see, hypothetically, if we were to see more acquisitions, what area would that likely be in? Not creative, then, I take it? It, uh, it, 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 it could be in creative. Um, okay. It could be in, uh, in creative production. It could be in data. It could be in, in any number of areas. I think if you look at the acquisitions that we've made in, in, in the last 12 months from a, from, a, from a Dentsu perspective, they have been principally focused on, uh, on, on the areas of data um, and, and creative and production and so on, uh, and, and also digital performance so I think that's been our key areas of focus 
and and is and is um, is likely to continue. Okay, so we didn't. Re- excuse my ignorance. I didn't really touch on the uh, the presence of your uh, of the competition in Edinburgh in terms of WPP in terms of Omnicom and public um, publishers. Have they got a similar size offering in in Scotland or? No, not not in Scotland. I think so. In terms of the the big group agencies, um, MediaCom have a have a pretty strong presence in in Edinburgh, um, but not the other uh, group agencies. So in that respect, um, I suppose the competitive landscape up here is different to um, what you might find in Manchester or in in, in London. Um, but you know there are other competitors in our market. So I guess that plays to your advantage in a way, then, does it? Or I, I, I suppose, but I guess if we look at the pitches that we're involved in, we often find ourselves competing with uh, agencies that are with Scotland. So we could be up against the London agency or a Manchester agency. Um, so you know, it's not a case that we have it all to ourselves for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, there's a there's a there, I suppose ultimately there is a it's a smaller um, it's a smaller market up here than it probably is in Manchester and certainly is in London. And and, and I guess that's reflected in the presence. Of that the big groups have here. You mentioned pitching. Uh, what's it been like this year? Have you been pitching more this year comparatively to the same period last year? Or uh, We've had a, a very good year for new business so in the last 12 months we've won um, uh, Scottish Power uh, we've won Baxter's we've won uh, Amplifon um, which are you know big uh, you know big brands for us to work on so that's been really positive um, we also have a very strong pipeline so I think uh, what we're increasingly finding is that our you know the proposition that we offer is is resonating for clients in this market um, which is effectively taking the, you know, the the power and strength of our of our global communications network um, and 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 offering that to the to the local market um, with great kind of intimate service that we can offer from our, our Edinburgh office, so that is resonating really well. But I think our, our focus in the, in the kind of coming twelve months is really on um, you know telling our clients what the the white space acquisition means for them, uh, focusing on our Presto product, which I mentioned uh, yeah, earlier, sure. and our other kind of um, you know our other our other strengths, uh, particularly um, around uh, M one, which is our. Uh, it, which is a, a new proposition which uh, is, is now launched um, mm-hmm. and that is uh, really a step change in how we uh, target audiences so moving away from the idea of kind of targeting proxy audiences okay. um, towards targeting real people who have uh, fully consented to receiving uh, communications across the programmatic spectrum so I think we, we're, we're really um, getting behind some of those kind of key offerings that we've got and, and, and our ambition is to take that to the market in the coming 12 months So when was M1? That was launched this year was it? Or? Yeah, it's it's a product that has existed um, in 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 the USA for for some time, um, and it was it, it, it was uh, Merkel are, are the company behind the M1 proposition, right. uh, which is obviously part of the Densuigis uh, group, and that uh, product is is now rolled out in in the UK, uh, and is something that we're going to get behind. Okay, um, so on this podcast, we talked a lot about the um, some of the pressures the big networks are facing. Obviously, well documented, uh, slowdown in growth, uh, pressure from the platforms brands bringing media buying in-house um, I mean is this something you're uh, acutely aware of um, obviously it's something that you know I'm sure senior people at uh, De- uh, Denso Aegis will be aware of but, uh, aware of, but how much does this uh, filter down to, to you in Scotland too I think well we recently released um, the Denso Aegis Network recently released our global um, outlook for how the market is is running this year. Yeah. Uh, what we're, we're finding is that the UK market is is about four percent up, which is in line with with global growth. Um, and from an Edinburgh perspective, we're certainly trending ahead of that. So okay. I guess that's positive. But what what we're very clear on is that the the sector that we're in is going through a period of disruption. And in truth. 
um, we we don't we don't ever see that changing. It's um, it's something that is just going to continue to see. Uh, further disruption, but I think our our network has been designed with that kind of disruption in mind. So I, I talked earlier about our acquisition strategy, but our acquisition mm. strategy is, is designed to ensure that we have the breadth of specialisms that we need to service our clients and and answer all of the challenges that they um, they have. So I think that uh, yes, there is competition. Yes, there are kind of new challenges, um, but our aim as a group is to um, spot the opportunities for growth as quickly as pop- as possible and then, and then capitalize on them. And I think. If you look at our growth in the last, uh, certainly the last five years, um, it would demonstrate that we are we are doing that pretty effectively. So, what's the biggest challenge you face at the moment? Then is it, is it competition from the consultancies? Is it brands bringing bringing media in house? I mean, what's what? What's... I, I don't think that's having from an Edinburgh perspective. I don't really think that those are major challenges for us. So, I okay. think if you look at them, if you look at big global businesses, yeah. um, yes, they are certainly um, uh, looking at those options. Uh, I don't think that that is something that is um, a kind of obvious threat to our, our us in Edinburgh. Um, so, no, I don't think so. I think um, you know we, we are we were. I suppose when we looked at um, at 2018 this time last year, yeah. um, there w- there was some um, you know uh, let's say uh, concern or uncertainty about how the market would grow, um, and I suppose we, we we look forward to next year with a with a kind of similar outlook. You know there are uncertainties on the horizon as a result of um, you know Brexit, for example. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that you know our, our job is to stay uh, as lean and focused uh, as possible and focus on what our clients um, are telling us they need from us. Um, and if we do that, then we should be in a good position. And you mentioned Brexit there. I mean, what, how does that manifest itself, that uncertainty then? Is, is that concerns about there's not going to be a continuation of freedom of movement of, of staff from Europe or is that...? Well, we, we do have a very, um, uh, you know, international uh, workforce. That is that is true. Um, but I think, to be honest, it's more about just wider, um, you know, uh, uncertainty um, in, in the market. And I guess that it's perhaps somewhat surprising that, um, you know, that hasn't manifested itself in, 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 in a dip in consumer confidence already and, you know, a, a, a knock-on effect on business. It's perhaps surprising that hasn't happened, given that mm. if we look at the, the current state of negotiations today, you know, we, we're still not very clear on, on which way that will go. So I suppose that that is the um, the kind of uncertainty that all businesses and all sectors mm. are dealing with. Um, but as I say, we just need to keep focused on the things that we can control. Um, um, and uh, and do do the best we can within that in, in that environment. So it doesn't come up in pictures, then. You don't hear clients clients express concerns about how it's going to pan out or Brexit. Or? No, that hasn't impacted on us uh, in our in our pictures at all. Okay, so um, I'm sure I asked uh, Rachel a similar question, but um, in terms of the advertising uh, scene, in terms of uh, festivals and, and events going on, it's obviously very heavily concentrated in in London. Do you feel it's overly concentrated in London? I'm thinking about some of the, like all the big festivals like Adweek Europe. Um, it all seems to be concentrated down there. Or do you think um, there's more happening in Scotland now than there was, you know, maybe 12 months ago? Well, I mean, certainly if I look back at over a longer period of time, I, I moved to London um, w- when I first got into media nine years ago and I, I spent two years there. And I so I kind of know firsthand that there is a tendency when working in London to kind of forget that anything <laughs> is happening out, out with London. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, I, I believe that too while I was down there. I guess I guess what I've seen in the last six years is is certainly considerable growth in, uh, in Manchester. Uh, and also I think uh, some considerable growth within Edinburgh. Um, 
of course, I spent the last uh, the last six years here. Um, I think that there's a really strong creative scene generally. I think there's some great creative agencies, great um, media agencies up here. And I think if I compare it with the market that I saw nine years ago when I took the decision to leave Edinburgh and move to London, I think it's in a much better place. Um, I think that the industry is is trying to is recognising that there is there are things happening out with London uh, increasingly. Uh, as I mentioned, that you know we, we have an extremely strong presence in in Manchester and and sure. in, in other um, regions uh, in, in in the UK. Uh, so I think that's 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 increasingly recognised. And of course, we've just we've just finished our festival up here, and, and there was the TV festival in Edinburgh, yes. which I think was, uh, was was well received. So no, I, I'm fairly optimistic about um, about Edinburgh, and and to be honest, the, the regional scene. And what's your, how does your week pan out then? Are you? I mean, do, do you go to London? You mentioned Manchester quite a bit there. Do you go to Manchester once a week, or, or London, or you? Yeah, m- m- not quite once a week, but certainly we are very well connected into into Manchester and into into London. Um, I mentioned our product Presto earlier, so you know a, lo- a lot of our business is coming out of London clients there, and increasingly beyond uh, the UK. Um, and we, as I say, we work very closely with our, our colleagues in Manchester. We've got you know a very clear. Um, uh, clearly defined strategy for our businesses, and uh, and that requires you know close alignment of, of leadership across those uh, offices. Okay, and uh, I mean over the next twelve months, what's on your what's in your in tray? And also, I mean, I should have asked. We, we spoke about uh, uh, media agencies before. I mean, how do you in five years down the road uh, down down the road? How do you see media agencies changing and evolving? Do you think they'll be stripped back or a lot different to what they are today? Or I think that the so I mentioned earlier, I kind of I suppose our three areas of focus. I think the, the key things that we are, are kind of taking to market are the acquisition of white space and what that means for our clients. Um, sure. This idea of bringing um, media uh, data and 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 creative together to create a really joined up proposition. I think that's really attractive for our clients, and that's something that we're going to be getting right behind and focusing on. Mm. Um, I think what you know, w- the, what shape will our business um, take in five years? I think is obviously very difficult to say. I think sure. if, we, if, we, if we look back at where we were five years ago, um, could we have foreseen that, for example, we would have launched Presto and that would be a mm. you know a, a, a very um, considerable part of our business? Pro- probably not. So it's hard to say. But what I can say with certainty is that our business will have a different shape, uh, and therefore it's, it's it's essential that we need to continue uh, evolving, but also keeping a very close eye on the opportunities that um, we see come up, uh, and make sure that we move as quickly as possible. To capitalize on them. I think that's how we stay. Um, you know, we, we, we stay at the forefront of our industry. So you mentioned white space again there. So that, that media media data creative. Presumably, that's. I mean, that, that's what your uh, uh, competitors are, are taking to market too. I mean, how does it differ from what your competitors are, are taking to market? I, th- I think it comes down to specialism. So our our, our uh, proposition is really that we have. Um, specialist agencies across the uh, the network, um, sure. and when we bring them together, they are incredibly powerful. Um, so n- n- we don't just have breadth of speci- um, specialism, but we have real depth too. So if you look at White Space, they are uh, a team of sixty five people um, who are at the, you know at the leading edge of, of new creative technology. If you look at um, uh, if you look at Aquila, for example, which is part of Merkel, um, they're a team of uh, around seventy people who are who are data scientists and at the cutting edge of data. And then if you look at media, we've got um, some of the best uh, media uh, people working in our business. So what we have is is both breadth and depth of specialism, and I think that's what sets us apart from our competitors. Uh, okay, Richard, that is fantastic. Well, finally, before you go, I mean, if if young people who want to work in media are listening to this, what's the what's the pull? Why should they come and work at, for Dentsu Aegis in Edinburgh? 
I think, um, uh, well, the, the, the sector is a, it's a great sector to get into for a young person. I, I got into it when I was still relatively young. Um, I think there's loads of opportunities for growth and development. Um, in, many, in many respects, you know, the digital economy we see um, uh, growing at a tremendous rate in, in years to come. Um, and so for young people who have kind of, you know, they, they are digital natives, they have grown up um, with digital technology as part of their lives from a very young age, they're in a real strong position because they come into our business with a very good understanding of certain things that perhaps uh, you know myself and other people who have been in the business sure. for a while don't don't necessarily so I think it's a great industry to get into in that respect in terms of Edinburgh um, you know we've got a uh, you know if I if I compare I, lo- I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in London um, and, and I have no regrets about it but um, it is a very different um, uh, place to work in comparison with Edinburgh we've got great work-life balance up here um, and uh, you know obviously the the kind of the, the cost of living are somewhat different so I think uh, living and working in media in Edinburgh is is a, is a pretty good option right now if you are uh, if you are thinking about where to start your career. Right, that's fantastic, brilliant. Thank you very much, Richard. That's great. Thank-